0: Hello and welcome back to Cosentona Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Time of Contempt, Chapter 3. Uh, this is the big banquet chapter, just before all hell breaks loose in the Thanet coup. And I'm also joined by uh, Joshua Rapier. Hello.
1: Hello. Good to be back. Uh,
0: so, this, uh, you know, this chapter uh, is mega important, uh, as you probably know since you're further along in Time of Contempt now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sets up a lot of stuff is also building tension also has some funny moments the, the light and the mood a little bit um, and uh, has there's a lot of chess pieces moving on the board mm-hmm. but beyond that this is also the first official book outside of the show for you uh, nothing from this book really made it into the show so far um, and when we had started this uh, you really—the first one you came onto was a grain of truth, uh, mm-hmm. and the reason you really, really took a liking to that one, outside of it being really, really good, was that it wasn't in the show, and therefore it was fresh for you.
1: Yes, absolutely, uh, like a blank slate.
0: Yeah. So now that you are past where the show is in, uh, in the books, how how is that affecting your read on things?
1: Is it? Uh, it, it are you enjoying the freshness of it? Etc. I feel like with you, I've got a kind of framework of what to expect in the future. You've got a lot of, uh, I guess, advice what to expect. A couple of spoilers here and there, which in a way has helped me because, as you say, there's just in this chapter alone, there's so much going on, so many names, so many factions. So having those, you know, spoilers in a way really has helped me lay out the bridge work of what to expect so when I come by things. I'm like, oh, okay, so this connects to what Kyle was saying earlier. Okay, I get it now. But aside from that, uh, this is such a great breath of fresh air after the show, really, after that, that kind of limitation. And it certainly does live up to its title. I feel like every five pages, we've got someone using the, the title of the book in a sentence. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that
0: that that uh, the title of the book is part of a uh, ongoing thing in the universe, though, um, the, you know, the Ithlene's prophecy speaks of the time of contempt uh so like it is a saying that people will say because you
1: know it is it's a part of this oh, i like world. it a lot i like it a lot it's that, yeah. that kind of fantasy talk that uh, that really gets to me
0: we've talked a lot about the differences between the show and the books etc and my dislike of certain things and my like of certain mm-hmm. things how the show got you into it but what i really want to know now that we are definitely away from the the show how has things from the show impacted the way you read the book? Do you picture Henry
1: Cavill when you see Geralt, etc.? Not massively, if I'm being honest. I still got a bit of. A I haven't listened to the audiobooks in a while, but now and then I, I, I still get Peter Kenning's voice in my mm. head when it comes to like reading the characters' voices, you know, imagining his t- use of tone for them.
2: Because
0: mm. uh, you know, they, 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 they took a lot of liberties with certain characters and whatnot, which, you know, Neither yeah. here nor there, but uh, it, it, it's just interesting because I came from the games, which also take a lot of liberties, um, and so like that was an adjustment period I had. And of course, I started that with Last Wish because the 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 games explicitly take place after these books, so it wasn't I was dealing with another person's vision of this story. Mm. Um, so you know your. You know uh, your your take on it uh, was it is just interesting because you're coming from a show that adapted you know the first three books so far, getting ready for the fourth. Uh, and you're now on the fourth. So there's sort of this weird dichotomy where you the show is still you know in purview, but it, it you know it's further enough away that you can sort of start getting a new look on things.
1: yeah, I've definitely been going about the process uh, in a backwards way. Because, you know, when you read a book, you envision the characters based on those descriptions. You know, you got mm-hmm. your own vision of them in your head. And then when a the show comes around and you only see someone else's vision of that, you can either really love what they did or you can really dislike their take on it. Mm-hmm. Often both. So with me, it was funny to go about it uh, backwards. But like I said, I don't really envision uh, Henry Cavill's kind of... I don't envision <laughs> that kind of universe when I read these books anymore. If anything, yeah. I imagine it more in a animated kind of format. Like in a real crude kind of way. Like uh, Mike Mignola's art style, you know, the creator of Hellboy. Oh, yeah. I know he, I haven't read them uh, in full detail, but I know he did a couple of comics based on the video games. And I just mm-hmm. think his style would, is really perfect for that for that kind of universe. Yeah, you know, that more kind of gritty, blocky hands kind of style. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm a big fan of Mike Mignola's work, so I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, that's actually a really good aesthetic. Um, I, I, like, I don't have any, like, blank aesthetic for Witcher when, I, when I'm reading it. Um, it's, it's much more of, um, you know, I, I go for much more of a, a, a feeling. Um, and when I feel when I read Witcher is a, a sense of melancholy in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't imagine, you know, um, bright in your know, beautiful people in uh you know in beautiful well designed clothes that are extravagant except for the banquet area where that's intentional yeah um i i imagine you know Geralt is probably in a jacket that's ripped to shreds and he you know he's he's walking around and, and in in you know stuff like that where it's only it has the feeling of something that's been there for a long time but you know uh it's all about the emotionality of it but uh mike Mignola's is a good pull i actually really like that uh visualization of the universe um, since I'm a big fan of his work, has that a, it has the show affected your readings on the characters? Like um, to say, is in this chapter, you know, Vilgefortz in this chapter, they've all had minor roles in the show so far. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that? You know, uh, the the show sort of impacting these characters that are important in the later books and don't show up till later compared to the show, which introduces them earlier. Um, how is that impacting that?
1: If I'm being honest, none of a hardly to be honest in a very minuscule kind of way because they they had very minor roles in the show um i wasn't mm-hmm. like you i didn't look at these guys like oh it's it's them from the books i was like <laughs> are these guys important are they from the books or is this a netflix thing uh and then when you go into the book i'm like oh okay i get it now the book's developing them nicely but the show hasn't gotten there yet yeah uh, hopefully it will in the future but then i'll have a you know, a respect for the characters, a better understanding of how of what they should be. So that gives me some bars of what to expect the, the Netflix show to live up to.
2: But mm-hmm.
1: uh, again, I don't really think of the Netflix version when I look at these kind of characters. That's cool. Like, uh, you know,
0: e uh, You know, I've I've gone backwards in adaptations sometimes. Like, I've I've uh, like Outlander. You know, I started with the TV show, then I went and read some of the books, etc. Um, and so therefore, you know, it's a bit difficult to divorce, you know, say the performance of Sam Hewing as Jamie from Jamie in the book, even though they, they are the same character, you know, it's a rather close adaptation, but there are some liberties taken here and there enough to differentiate it, um, that, you know, you know, it's hard to divorce my brain of that, um, so it's interesting to see someone who went the reverse on this series, um, and uh, and how they process that mm-hmm. beyond the show. Now, the, uh, in the actual chapter itself, um, you know, we get introduced to a lot of different characters. Uh, some of them we've already met, technically, like Dora, Gary, and Vilga Forts, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, that we we it's basically a tour through mage society
1: yeah the the magic one percent the world
0: yes um and the mage arrogance and complacency is a big theme uh that i think plays a whole lot into um everything that's going to come down in the coup especially but also um you know has played a part in previous stories and previous chapters as well as in future story you know future chapters Um, and this is the bit where it's fully on display just before we tear it all down. Mm. Um, so, you know, you, you have, you know, basically Geralt being treated like a piece of meat, uh, you know, on display at this banquet. Um, and everybody, you know, is in a, to quote Dijkstra, here in a professional capacity. Uh, but they, they act like children. Mm. Um, they're, they're, they're a bunch of horny teenagers um and it is simultaneously funny and grotesque and and i think that is all part of the point is that the mage society is inherently broken um and is too blinded by what it is and what it thinks it is to be able to see the true picture and so what is your take on the way he represents mages here? We uh, you know we talked about a little bit about this previously in some of the short stories, but uh, you know, here just before the coup, which you since you've read past, you know, is going to happen. How so many of the mages are just uh, so full of themselves to mm-hmm. a ridiculous degree, and you know, we can yeah. see. You know, when Vilgefortz is taking Geralt around, and he's talking about, you know, that this was the Force Sorcerer, this is where they decided to, you know, divide uh, state and magic, etc. Um, and just everything in it leads you to believe these guys have lived in this society for so goddamn long, and we know that one of the four Sorcerers, this is still around, her name is Tissaia. You know, she was Yen's teacher. Because they have been around for so long, they have gotten used to this. And mm. they're they're blindsided for what's about to happen. Uh though, you know, Geralt can see stuff's going down and those in the know know that stuff's going down. But everyone else, like say Sir muddy Sotogrid, just wanna, you know, you know, bump uglies and uh manipulate people <laughs> into doing whatever they want because they think they're entitled to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. They're like the the pompous old guard who don't realize, you know, the the clocks reach midnight as it were they're not passing it on
0: and i often viewed the the coup has several reasons for existence and i will get into that uh, next chapter when the coup actually starts but this is you know the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 tension building before you know the spark finally hits um but to me one of the things that the coup represents to me uh, is a kick in complacency um mm-hmm. that the mages needed this You know, it was a horrible situation. A lot of people got killed. But if it wasn't this, they wouldn't have woken up and finally done something. Um, So what do you think of the way the mages are treated, especially in this chapter?
1: I don't remember his name, but there's a character who introduces himself to Geralt and pretty much says what you're saying now. He talks about how everyone there is such a, a prick, mm. you know, all, all this air prestige. And he's like, you're the one person here who would I even consider saluting, raising a toast to. Mm. And I found that funny. That's like, he, he's probably the one self-aware sorcerer in there. Yep. And even he's a bit of a prick about it. Like, but at least he, he, he acknowledges it. Yeah,
0: that, that's Dory, Gary. He was the mage in uh, The Bounds of Reason. He was on the dragon hunt ah
1: yep yeah there's there's just so many names. <laughs> i'm afraid I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time keeping up with them
0: i mean i know them all so uh uh but uh yeah if you didn't recognize the name uh he, there's a brief mention of hey we you know remember that one time we did this thing um uh, yeah he was the mage uh that was on the dragon hunt with uh for villain Trenton rift oh, Very cool and you talk about dory gary like dory gary is self-aware about what this is all about Mm. And he's very, uh, he's much more considerate than the others. But he still, because of his position and what he believes he's entitled to, he still twists the knife of you know, you know, you still kill species, Geralt. You know, of uh, mm. uh, which is completely hilarious to me because I've actually talked quite a lot uh, in my own recordings about the environmentalism message at the heart of The Witcher. Um, and how, uh, Geralt is, you know, a nature preserver in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so you have a guy who believes he understands nature, um, and is like so full of himself that even those who, you know, you know, it is necessary for population control, but he doesn't he doesn't even see that he thinks you know it's not it's not necessary and he also doesn't take into account that Geralt doesn't kill certain monsters um and so he rubs it in his face when Geralt actually has the real lived experience of being an environmentalist mm.
2: um
0: and so you know even that is rubbed into his face um and in the, in the, there's 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 little things like uh, you know, Philippa and in uh, Volgaforts both trying to uh, basically force Geralt to take a side. Um yeah. and uh as Geralt says when he finally has had enough of, you know, it, it, it it's so it's so ridiculous how much my neutrality is hated just because I have the you know, the understanding to say that all of you were complete and
1: utter assholes, basically. Yeah, that was very cathartic to see. Uh, yeah. It was like, uh oh, here he gets it, he knows what the audience is going <laughs> to <through." laughs> see the same argument over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also
0: plays into like, uh, he doesn't overtly say it, but like, you know, the lesser evil, you know, uh, Mm. which side do you choose? And I've talked at length about the lesser evil story, um, and how that can reflect on this, you know, on, on this saga as a whole, you have, you know, uh, to, to boil it down to its most basic level, you have a princess who, um, is wanted for the reason she was born. Um, and a bunch of mages are, believed they're entitled to her. Um, and, uh, you have Geralt standing in the middle. Um, and in the lesser evil, you know, Rinfrey was a lost cause. Um, she was already too far gone, uh, to ever be redeemable. Um, which is why that that story is a tragedy because Geralt decided not to choose and in effect chose and made the slaughter happen. Um, Mm -hmm. and if he had just walked away, it might not have happened. Uh, and so he is sitting here, uh, you know, with that experience now in his mind, standing between these mages and Ciri, another princess who is wanted for the reason she was born. Um, and now he is firmly uh, trying to avoid uh, interfering as much as he can. Um, mm. And we're still going to see it explode. Um, and it, it becomes the futility of, is neutrality actually real? Can you actually take a neutral stance? Um, can, uh, you know, we, we saw it in the Elven chapter in uh, the uh, in the last book, in Blood of Elves. You know, Yarpin found um, Geralt's neutrality disgusting because of what happens, but also believes that both sides are just so fucking awful that, you know, what choices is there to be had? Uh, so you have, on a much more micro scale, you know, Geralt, Serial behind him, the mage in front of him. How does he navigate this? And, mm. you know, as we know in the coup, you know, it's sometimes a bitch to have
1: scruples. That's something I've really appreciated throughout this throughout this novel is that it feels like it's directly confronting you know the character of Gerald and it's straight up telling the audience, uh, this guy is a stubborn, anachronistic idiot. His choices have led to this." Mm-hmm. And I found that a very interesting direction to take it in to to really dissect his character, to dissect his choices, mm-hmm. uh, his old fashionism, as it, as they put in occasionally. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen quite a quite a book that does that that just kind of in prose breaks the fourth wall and says uh this guy the main character he's messed up his actions have led to this mm-hmm. and you feel bad for the guy because you get it he's you know you can understand the uh the appeal of staying neutral you know why he sees both sides the way they does how they're both equally noble and fucked up in their own perspectives
0: Mm yeah i'm trying the best way to the the to uh explain this but uh one of my favorite genres is noir um (laughs) and uh noir can be defined as many different things but one of the best definitions i've ever seen comes from ed brew baker uh in which he said that noir is the is the emotional turmoil of the the character saying they're going down a bad path knowing that they're going to have to do bad things but choosing to do it anyway um and uh feeling like they're unable to change
1: that's very good yeah Yeah. yeah, that
0: is ultimately the essence of noir and well you know this is very fantasy and not noir at all and i know that some people have tried to to make Witcher like a comparison to Noir and whatnot in the past, especially because the games kind of lean into that detective type thing with this monster hunting. I mean, hell,
1: I I did that in my very yeah. first appearance in the show. Yeah. I compared it to a detective story. Yeah, like it's
0: it it has elements of that, but it's definitely much more fantasy. But it is showing us that we agree with Geralt, but his reasonings and his ideology. Well, understandable may not be plausible, um, and that sometimes choosing not to act in effect helps the the wrong side, uh, and that there is a there's a balance there to be had between preserving your neutrality, trying to keep everybody you know reserved and hear both sides, while simultaneously also doing the right morally uh moral thing um and it's confronting out directly on that and saying hey we understand you we like you but prick up your ears basically Mm -hmm. um and I think that is a um it's an interesting message because you know there's a lot to be discussed about the politics and whatnot of Witcher but You know, I come from America, which is a very deeply divided country at the moment of this recording and has been for several years now. Um, And I often find myself in the center because uh, I'm trying to make people understand each other. Um, And it's it's an incredibly uncomfortable place to be because both sides hate your guts because they think you are the epitome of the worst because you refuse to make Mm -hmm. a choice. Um and it's not that I refuse to make a choice, it's that, that I want understanding. Um, you know, and I, I I relate to Geralt in this because there is no right choice here. And there's no right choice many a times whenever he's been pressured to choice the lesser evil. It's a tragedy because every choice fucked everyone over, regardless. Uh there was no right choice in that. Um, and because of that him trying to make the morally right choice he caused the tragedy to happen so uh this actually leads to a very interesting question you know everybody has different readings on things you know that is the nature of art art is subjective. Mm -hmm. um and i'm not a very political person compared to a lot of others but i have seen people come to witcher uh and say well it's it's right-wing others will say it's left-wing others say it's centrist or what have you What's your reading?
1: Oh boy, I, I don't think I'm prepared to answer that honestly. <laughs> uh, my gut feeling, and this this might be my own bias. I'm I want to say, kind of left centrist, mm-hmm. somewhat the, the kind of gray area between those two. Uh, but but again, that's probably my own political bias. You know, speaking to me mm-hmm. there, because you know when I read fiction, I want to imagine that's what my you know the heroes yeah. are are going through. Yeah, but it's not always that black and white, I suppose. So uh, I suppose if I read what the people who think it's right wing uh, think about it, I could get some interesting perspectives out of that. I'm sure I could read a few paragraphs and be like, okay, I see what they're going with there. (laughs) But I don't I'm really aligned any kind of real world political aspects to it in, in that kind of sense mm-hmm.
0: um i, I mean I, I try not to do that but not to do that with a lot of fiction because you know i think it's disingenuous a lot of the time um uh but i do think that witcher because it is so political in what it's trying to do uh, a lot of people read it uh in that lens and because of that um and because of art is subjective you know, you get a uh, a wide variety. I actually agree with you. I think it is Cinto Left. Um, and especially if you consider who Sukowski is in his own country. Um, that becomes more clear, I think. Uh, I know Death of the Author is a hotly debated topic. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, though. Uh, but, uh, like, just to give an example, because I know we've kind of brought it up before. Mm-hmm you know, uh, the nature of abortion in this series, uh, he explicitly has Calanthe say that it is the right of all women to to have an abortion. In Poland, it is still illegal to have abortion and has been for decades. So I think that kind of shows you, uh, on a, on at least a minor level, um, of the way that this series tackles these kind of things is that um it is approaching it from a place of understanding but also a place of moral uprightness. i firmly think it is center-left much like you do so it's fun that we came to the same conclusion
1: that's good saves an awkward conversation
0: (laughs) (laughs) i i i'm not not a politics guy as you know so like uh it's not like it's Mm. not like
1: how very (laughs) obi-wan i'm not brave enough for politics
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I uh I, I just I don't dabble in that as much as I can. Even though the like the two things that I've covered on this podcast are incredibly political works. So, you know. Uh Babylon Five is not subtle in that. Um, <laughs> and uh and Witcher is also not subtle. Uh but it being art, you can read it multiple ways, you know. So uh just to give you an example of Babylon Five, you know, the show that I did just before this, because of who J. Michael Straczynski is, and what this series has to say, I would say, it's very left-leaning in a lot of ways. The main actor who plays one of the one of the main characters is very very right-wing. Um, and so there's that dichotomy there of did he disagree with what was in the script? Mm. Let's talk about because we you were on Shot of Ice uh mm-hmm. yin and Geralt finally saying i love you
1: yes awesome i was looking forward to talking about this because <laughs> i was like that was the moment i i read it and i was like oh yeah i have to do an episode of of this podcast with Kyle on this one because mm-hmm. it does feel like the culmination of shard of ice of all the kind of the running through line of their relationship throughout the short stories that mentioned ones in, in the main saga this this felt like the culmination I've been waiting a long time for, mm. and yeah, I know it's not the end. I know there's going to be a lot more to explore in the future, mm-hmm. but it, this did feel like the the ending of a chapter, as it were, yeah. of the the breakup chapter saga. <laughs> mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Um, what did you think of it being
0: as mundane as it was? Just have you know, saying this over you know,
1: I loved it. it just, he he just casually says it, and she's like. You finally said it. And he's like, I must have done. Mm-hmm. No, you fought it. There's a difference between thinking and saying it. And I think uh he gets it now. That was the lesson he was too stubborn to understand yep. in, in that story. And the book acknowledges the way they write they write about uh the ice of stubbornness and pity is finally melted away. It's like, ah, oh, he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He's he's been building up to this. Good stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: And what what I love about mundane as it is is because of how emotional and raw shard of ice was mm-hmm. um you know it's it, shard of ice was inherently two characters who wanted to say the same thing but couldn't because of their own inherent flaws um and you know it was a big you know emotionally raw story about you know just say it and then refusing to say it because my words aren't enough um and then here it's just over some hors d'oeuvres, and <laughs> he's just like, I love you.
1: Yeah, and he needed chokes on that. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, and there's something so subtle about that. To go back to Babylon 5, one of my favorite scenes in the first season, it's as a character who's been in an on-again, off-again relationship uh, with, an, with an old friend from Military Academy, right? And... Mm-hmm. They've, uh, you know, they're they're living together now, but they're they're not committed yet. And he's trying to figure out a way to say it, to propose to her, but he doesn't know how because it's so awkward and because the relationship is so long, you know, years and years going without each other and then with each other. And so, as he stumbles over his words and, like, Catherine, I'd like to. And then he stumbles and he stumbles and he finally goes, Hey, you want to get married or not? (laughs) <laughs> it is ridiculously romantic in a way it shouldn't be. Um because of the simplicity of it. We make a big deal in fiction about, you know, getting down on one knee and, you know, will you marry me? And big sweepy music. Yeah, and fireworks in the sky, yeah, and Yeah, And like and some people have that experience. Some people do not. Um, and uh, you know, uh, you know, he was never a doubt in either of my parents' minds that they were going to get married. They did do the, like, get down on one knee, will you marry me thing, but it was never, like, a big explosion thing. You know, it was just like, yep, we're getting married. Um, (laughs) And so, like, it's something that is rarely done in fiction. It's just, just, I have this mundane, ordinary thing of, I love you. And, you know, and if you've, you know, ever... Been in a relationship or whatever, you tend to say that without even thinking of it. You're
1: just like, "Yep, yep, yeah." I've been there.
0: Um, it, it's just a word that slips out of your mouth as you're you're walking out the door. See you later, love you, and uh, so like that. Though the way he does it, especially because their meeting was so fairy tale, with mm. the big you know wish stuff and the genie and all this stuff. To have something that's just, yep, ordinary day. Um, And I, I can't quite put in the words just how intensely romantic that is compared to doing the, the you know, get down one one knee type thing. Uh, because it feels so normal. And so like, uh, j- just like ordinary life, in a way. Mm. You know, having that here... You know, we open with traditional marriage vows, um, and then we get uh, an excerpt from Dandelion's Half a Century of Poetry. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the
1: pair of elephants. Yep.
0: Yeah. The, you know, love is like a pair, you know. Please try to describe it to me, you know. A pair has, you know, a distinct color, a taste, and a very interesting shape. Now try and describe it to me.
1: Yeah,
0: Uh-huh. Um... Love is a complicated thing, and we've explored this, you know, through the saga so far, you know, no more blatant than Strat of and A Little Sacrifice, uh, both of which you were on, um, mm-hmm. and to then culminate in this. Um, and I think that, you know, that the build-up over multiple stories, multiple books, to end up here, some people... Think it's silly. I know my dad thought it was silly. Um when he read it, but I adored it. And so mm. I'm just happy you adored it too, because of just how
1: down to earth it was. Yeah. Well, like the way they met again was was, was it had that kind of epic yes. fantasy flair to it, you know, the the wild hunt, teleportation, uh Beary pretending to pass out, yes. which I thought was a quite funny, clever way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Uh and then this was a scene you had told me about months ago during one of the first few sessions we did where it's Dandelion and Siri watching them. Yep. And he's, he's using poetry and his own understanding of humanity and of his best friend to tell Siri what they're telling each other while they're not actually speaking. And that was such a very sweet way to finally to finally resolve all this you know bullshit they've been putting each other through
0: i, I talked about last chapter when i recorded that that uh mm. uh the words did not need to be said we do not need to know the words um mm. because it's it's all about the emotionality um and that that's what Dandelion does so perfectly you know that is the point of poetry to uh to say the words that others cannot speak Um, and the, the way it is done from series perspective and Deadline's perspective to then come here, you know, after they've had their big argument, um, and it, it, it's all about what I love about the series is that I know some people get annoyed with it of that, the way it does things, you know, intentionally it will, uh, put a story within a story, which becomes very overt in the Vilgefort section of this chapter. Um, but what it's trying to do is not only show you how perception of bias change things, uh, and perspectives, but also focus on the raw emotion. Um, it, the words being spoken is not as important as the emotion felt. Um, and I think that is very counterintuitive to a lot of modern writing because a lot of modern writing is about, you know, show, don't tell. But there is to telling. There is a art there. There is an elegance there that I think we have missed. Uh, and what I love about Witcher is that it tries to do that of the words, the actual words, meaningless. What is important mm-hmm. is that they were saying "I love you" in the only way they could, um, and that that hits harder than watching a ten-minute argument.
1: I would say. Mm. I don't know about you, though. No, I definitely agree here. Mm. Uh, and I'm kind of wary of how Netflix will go about this in the future, because the way <laughs> the Netflix version of Left the Relationship is kind of undetermined. I know you really, really hated the whole yep. get out, putting a her thing. Uh, and the way the finale left it, it's kind of hinting to game back together, but it's nowhere near as competently handled as the book is. Mm-hmm. So my theory is, based on what we've been discussing, is there will be some kind of Huge epic showdown in season three's finale, and that's where the oh, I loved you all along thing will kick in completely. Going against the point of, of this chapter,
0: I'm calling it now the episode where the banquet yeah. happens is when the duel between Istrid and Geralt will happen. Mm. I'm just calling it because that feels like something that show would do, even though they didn't fight the duel at all in the book because the entire thing was don't fight it because you're being stupid. Yeah, um, you know. I have a feeling the show will do that, and like you know, not not to like badger on the show. You know, if you like it, you like it. You know, uh, that's what I've been saying to a lot of people here lately. Because like I, especially with recent announcements for season three, I'm really like ugh, on potentially not even watching it anymore. Um, and um, the thing is, is that. Uh, there's also a big difference in the way the writers see things in the way the actors see things and the way the fans or the watchers, the viewers see things. You know, for some people like me, Geralt putting a sword to Yin's neck was final straw. There's no coming back from that. In interviews, Henry Cavill says that you know, uh, it's a very extreme set of circumstances for Geralt and Yin to be in. you know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure that out next season, how to work through that. And hopefully get back on track. Anna Trollta, who plays Yen, doesn't think there's any work to be needed. She Mm -hmm. thinks it's all fine and dandy. She even joked in that same interview when when Henry Cavill said, Well, there's going to be, we're going to have to work towards it. She's like, Oh, I I have to work for you?
1: (laughs) I think I've seen that interview. Yeah. You can definitely tell that they're not on the same wavelength. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, you get Lauren and the showrunner and the writers having different interpretations of what's going on. And I'm just like, I have no confidence in their ability to fix this. Especially because,
2: mm.
0: you know, next chapter and you've already read it, the family split up. Mm. Um and I, I'm I don't know if they're gonna wait to hold up until the, the series finale or the season finale or what. But like it's gonna be a long time before they see each other again. And I don't want this to, you know, hang like the sort of Damocles over this character relationship. I'd much rather um be in love be happy for this one moment in time, because I think that is actually super important. Mm -hmm. Um, This chapter, while it is building tension, there is a lot of small moments like the I love you bit, um, you know, that is all about the happiness that these characters feel when they're together, because that's about to get, you know, shredded into a million pieces next chapter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so there is a sense of calm before the storm, you know, a sense of, togetherness and happiness i mean we end the chapter on uh yen and Geralt discussing building a house uh, mm-hmm. and having a farm and just living together um and which by the way is from the non-canonical short story something and something begins that was written before this but is best read after uh yeah uh, i'll i i sent you the link a long time ago when you started reading these books but i'll remind you again after you finish lady of the lake to read it yeah it's a non-canonical short story um that uh was written prior to the saga you know during the short stories time when he was still writing the short stories um and serves as a quote-unquote alternate ending or sort of a you know what if i guess would be the best Mm -hmm. best example and they have a farm there, so uh, that's yeah. It's, that's a that's a reference to that. Uh, but but also it's you know it, it really fits with who Yen and Geralt are and how much they want to be divorced from the greaterness of this world. You know, Geralt doesn't want to be a witcher anymore. Yen wants to be divorced from the politics of this world, and has been forced to become a council member because of the Battle of Sodden. Uh, and Ciri wants to choose her own destiny instead of so the destiny chosen to her before her birth. Um, and you know, the farm sort of symbolizes that. I, I think it's important to have some happiness in this chapter before all hell breaks loose. So we shall see. I'm I, Like I said, I, I don't even know if I'm going to continue watching that show. Mm-hmm. Um. So one of my final questions is Vilgefortz. We haven't really talked about him because he hasn't been in any chapters that you have been in. Nope. Vilgefortz is one of the main big bads.
1: He makes a very good impression here yep. in this chapter and the next. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the fun things about him is the way subkowski plays with the traditional villain trope uh, you know vildefort in many ways is more of your traditional fairy tale villain he is unquestionably evil um and there is no ambiguity about him and he's an asshole and he's a misogynist and he's all these 20 billion things that you just want to fucking murder him but there's this great moment during the conversation between him and Geralt, where he says we're not all that different you and i
1: Typical villain.
0: <laughs> and Gout shuts that down immediately. It's like, yeah. are you fucking serious, man? Um what did you think of especially because we're comic book fans, we're used to the dark mirror trope. You know. The yeah. villain is the is the reflection of the hero in the mirror. What if he took a different path? Blah 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 blah.
1: Yeah. That's a trope that just won't die, yep. as the as the latest Morbius movie's <laughs> proven. Uh, yes i'm one of the few people in the world who actually saw that movie (laughs) in cinemas (laughs) i'm not proud
0: so what do you think of uh playing with that trope and basically shooting it in the foot immediately
1: yeah i i love it when characters do that when the villain does the typical we are the same monologue and the hero's like go fuck yourself Mm -hmm. dudes i would i yeah because i get from my recall uh he's talking about how they have, you know, sorcerers, m- the mums were sorcerers, mm-hmm. how this, how female sorcerers have influenced their lives. Uh, and they had that conversation about, do you believe that you can totally dominate yep. a strong-willed woman to your will? And I really liked what the uh, what he did by cutting away from that, you know, cutting back to Geralt and the elephant bed. And he's like, she asks, what did he say? And he's like, you know what I said. Mm-hmm. I came back to it. And it doesn't give the audience a specific answer, uh, but I'm pretty confident saying he, he's taking all the lessons he's learned from, you know, to say, no, you can't dominate mm. a woman. Mm. Yep,
0: and uh, it's also one of the few times that the wish from The Last Wish is actually brought up, uh, because you'll be surprised how little that comes up. I actually like how little that mm. comes up, uh, because I think the, the, the ambiguity of that that wish is important. Um and I don't think making a big deal out of it like the show did is great or whatever, and the games did a similar thing. Of you know, from someone like Vilkaforts, a deeply misogynistic man. His entire backstory he talks about is it's all about how women mistreated him. Hmm. Um so he uh he would look at the wish. And think of it as something distorted and vile and domineering, when in actuality it was an act of love. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting uh, route to go down. He, and he, he also talks about, you know, his over-misogynism is everywhere. Like, he talks about the paintings that glorify the first sorceresses, and it's like, it shows the gr- increasing feminis- uh, feminization of our profession. Um, and the way he treats Lydia, Lydia, um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, so, you know, in many ways he can be red if you want to be like very stone cold accurate of two Geralt, you know, he could be the dark mirror, but then there's enough differences there that he can't be. And so I I love the way Spakovsky just sort of lightly touches on that and then shoots Mm. it in the foot. It's a fun little twist on that. Um, And he's the most traditional villain we will get. Like, there's a lot of different villains in the series. Uh, And I know that, you know, I remember when Claudia was going through this, she's like, who's the big bad? I'm like, "Um, there's multiple. Uh, You know, this (laughs) is one of them. Um, He's the most overtly evil, I would say, outside of another particular character you haven't met yet. Um, And so, like... It's fun to see Sipkowski, because The Witcher is fantasy, but it's fantasy done in a way that sort of dismantles a lot of what you think of when you think of fantasy. It's trying to twist mm-hmm. it a little. And I know some people go, oh, it's just generic fantasy. Well, it, it's taking the bare bones of generic fantasy and then twisting them slightly uh, to make something a bit more interesting. So you have the evil bad guy who's so clearly evil. He's even the evil wizard. That probably is gonna who uh, who's after Siri and is is gonna chase her into a big old tower, you know the the wizard who locks a woman in a tower. Hmm, that sounds familiar, huh? Yep. Um, <laughs> but at no point in anything does uh does even bother to say, "Yep, Darkmere." It's is immediately shot in the foot. Um, and you know he. he that's what i love about the series a lot is because it's taking generic fantasy and trying to twist it slightly um and to make something you know different you know uh in in many ways it is uh can be read uh as a satire almost of say lord of the rings or something of that sort um you know i've seen some people write essays about that and i I, you know i don't necessarily agree with that read but it is a read that i can understand certainly Mm -hmm. And so, what do you think of Vilgefortz as, not, not just the Dark Mirror, but as this villain who is the most vilest villain ever? Like, he's all your stereotypes, all in one. What do you think of that?
1: I think he's definitely uh, the step up the series needed, because I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the biggest villain the series has had so far is, uh, Reet? is I? how do you pronounce
0: his name? I've I, I've really? heard it pronounced yeah. both ways, so I, t- I didn't go Ryan's. Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like the biggest villain in the series has so far is <laughs> Ryan's, uh, and even then he's more of a fug type character. You know, yep. you do get the sense he's just the hired hand, uh, you know, the real scumbag type villain. where you've got the real overprivileged, wealthy, you know, all powerful villain, you know, somewhere in the background pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. So Forts is definitely that step up the series needed, uh, and. You know, not to give away too much about the next chapter, but he, because I know that's your mm-hmm. job, but he definitely proves his mettle, as it mm-hmm. were.
0: And, and that actually builds into the Dark Mirror thing. Like, uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and talk about that, and I'll talk about it in more detail when I record the deal. Him thrashing Geralt so thoroughly that Geralt stood no chance um, he's a glorious inversion of trope. Mm. You expect the hero of the triumph. Uh, he doesn't. Also, the Dark Mirror. Uh, Vilgevort has had far longer the train than Geralt and is far more experienced. He trashes yeah. Geralt, and that's what's so lovely about that, is that it's taking all the tropes, going, here, here's what it would be in a normal fantasy, saying no to that, and then beating the hell out of our main character. Uh, and there's something so gloriously fun about that, but also insidious in a way, uh, that makes him more threatening as a villain, certainly, but also is fun because it's it's mocking almost in a way traditional fantasy. Um and it, it it's just enjoyable because of that. Um and Vilgeforts is uh you know, a complicated character, uh not necessarily in terms of oh he had a tragic backstory, therefore we understand he's a villain. No, I'm I'm talking complicated as in he is a man of many wants, and those wants are sometimes contradictory, sometimes he uh, fucks up him's his own self. he's complicated because he's a villain who is so villainous he makes mistakes. There is no attempt to sympathize with him, no nothing like that um and i mm. I think that is a fun thing is that that's so rare uh and you brought up Ryans, and I mean Ryan's is working for Vifort so like uh you know. Uh, we brought up the on the leash thing last book, I believe, um, and mm-hmm. Ryan's is the sorcerer on the leash, the Vilevards. So, uh, you know, he he's just, uh, you know, he was the introduced the sub villain before we introduced the main big big, big villain. It even follows that trope, but it, it it's intentionally doing it in a way that is uh, almost tongue in cheek in a way.
1: Mm. Uh, if we want to go into the whole dark mirror type idea. Would it be alright to say that Reince is the dark mirror to Yaskia, and that Yaskia is you know, Geralt's you know, associate, that he does missions for Geralt, the same way that Reince is doing the missions for Vilgenfortz?
0: Yeah, I mean, that is definitely a way to go there, especially because he yeah. did work for the Kaedwen Secret Service, and currently Dandelion is working for Dijkstra for the Redenian Secret Service.
1: Yeah, and the first time we are introduced to Vince is, you know, him torturing uh, Yaskir. Sorry, Dandelion, rather.
0: Yeah, but that's actually a good thing. I never thought of that, mainly because I just think of Ryan's as, Ryan's is like your traditional uh, second-in-command villain, but he is so useless that he just keeps getting (laughs) beaten so thoroughly every fucking time, and it is hilarious. And he thinks he's the big fish, but he's actually a small fish in a really large pond, and no one really cares about him. Um, and that's what I love about him. It's just that he is an idiot. Uh, and he keeps fucking up every fucking time and is glorious. Uh, but no, I, that does actually fit rather well with uh, Dandelion's character. That That's something I've never really put two and two to. That's cool. Mm. So uh, my final question for you um, is, in this chapter, Geralt is treated like a piece of meat. Um, at the same mm-hmm. time, there are large descriptions of uh, the sorceresses and sorcerers in their gaudy outfits, their very exploitive outfits. So the inherent sexualness of this chapter is, quite frankly, off the charts. And some people are adverse yeah. to that. Some people unlike not like it. I think it's an interesting dichotomy to have. Um, and I've seen some people sort of parallel the Witcher profession to, like, uh, sex work in a way that uh, they've been, you know, uh, they're treated as a piece of meat, they're only, uh, they're only interested for their body type thing, and we talked about that with the scientific thing with, uh, with Shani.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what do you think of the overt sexualness of this chapter, um, and how that reflects on Geralt, and how that reflects in the sorceresses, and uh, in, in the inherent sexism within the mage society? Uh, and, you know, how men have to look older and women have to look young uh, to be treated seriously. Um, and because uh, mm-hmm. some people interpret that as Sapkowski directly being sexist. I don't necessarily agree, but everybody's entitled to their opinion. So what's your read on it?
1: My take is everyone's treating Geralt as this exotic piece of meat that's just wandered into their, you know, into their own private zoo, as it were, their banquets. You know, and everyone's like, "Oh, Yennefer's just banging you for the sake of experimentation." You know, much like what uh, that prick mm-hmm. in Shard of Ice was talking about. Uh, but it's not that case. We know Yennefer has genuine feelings for Geralt, but these sources, you know, these one percent assholes, they don't see it that way. They want to. They're like, "Oh, let's have a piece of this guy. See what all the fuss is about." You know, and you get that very just wonderful sentence by out towards uh, towards the middle, where he's like. <laughs> I've heard people, you know, assaulting me all night. I've had one woman, yep, <laughs> make me on a hedgehog. Yes, colourful know, stuff like that. Um, and it, you know, it's a real, it's a real fish out of water situation for the guy. Uh, and I do feel like there's the message there that uh, Andre is trying to put out about. Oh, this is what it's like to be on the opposite mm-hmm. end of the of the attention, because I assume, you know, I assume girls more used to seeing like, let's say, uh. For lack of a better word, tan wenches, you know, uh, or the, the the village virgin, you know, typical fantasy stuff like that. You know, people who who, are, who either shirk away about the sexuality or use it to their advantage. Uh, and with these guys, they're super averse about it. You know, one woman up comes up to him, and is like, "I want to get pregnant mm-hmm. tonight for shits Kermit. and giggles."
0: Um, I've I, I that 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 scene I also read is like th- there's a lot of. Like when when he goes off on that like tangent of you know or, you know I've been I've been appraised I've been assaulted you know uh, one woman even threatened me with rape on a hedgehog you know that kind of thing, um, you know it's like he's a toy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this mm. sense that you know Yen cares about him uh, in a very deep way. Uh, how last chapter we found out that he doesn't actually make enough money on his contracts. She instead pays the people that pays his contracts to pay him more. Uh and uh, mm. and stuff like that. Like she she intentionally gives him more money um and to make sure that he's doing well. And we also know that their relationship is kind of infamous in the sorceress uh you know circles that everybody talks about, you know, it must just be a fling, it can't be love, that kind of thing. The only person who thinks it might be love mm. is Marty Sodegren, who while she is the one that threatens the rape on a hedgehog she is also the one that is the least interested in politics uh so she's she has the least to gain from anything it's just out of pure interest and fancy um and uh so she's the only mm-hmm. one that even bothers to speculate that it might be love there's, there's this entire idea that maybe gins keeping him around like a trophy and so all of the threats against him including the bets of uh you know i I'm going to get pregnant tonight all seem like digs at Yennefer. Um, it's not just that they want to sleep with Geralt. It's that they want to steal Geralt from her. Uh, and the, the, the baby Mm. thing is intentionally like a direct insult again, knowing that she is looking directly at the situation even though she's pretending to, you know, walk around as per the social norms of the mage society. You know, everything is a social faux pas. You have to keep wondering. You don't eat too mm-hmm. much. You don't talk too much. Um, you keep walking. Uh, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing. So, and it's even, uh, you know, it, it, it's directly targeted towards the end. And then when Philippa comes in and she talks about the illusions and the power of illusions... Uh, and how illusions can only simulate something. It cannot truly be the thing. So she can make, you know, oh, here's here's some hors d'oeuvres. They're not real, but if you wanted them, here you go. You know, uh, and uh, you won't have your feel. She even talks about that in terms of sex um, and makes it very overt, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, I can, I can make you have an orgasm right now and it won't matter at all. Uh, yeah, that is... No. That is what the society the, the sorcerers live in, and this you know appeals to the arrogance and complacency that we were talking about earlier. That this is not only a game to them. Geralt is a toy, um, and a toy is there to be used and to be played with. And Yen is you know a rival, and therefore they must uh, antagonize her in every way possible. Um, and we see that you know Yen tries her best to keep her cool. She has that moment where she tells off Triss. Um but like, you know, for the most part she's trying mm. to keep her cool. Um but she's used to this and so she blends in more much more than Geralt does. Um and I think that the the overt sex of this chapter both in terms of Geralt and in terms of the sorceresses I think is very a very clear uh look by stepkowski and not only how decadent a, a lot of rich people can be and are um but also how having power you know magical powers would only extrapolate that and how within their own society they have built such gendered walls that uh it influences everything they do And I think it is a meta-commentary on our real society. What Geralt is experiencing is catcalls. Uh, That's literally all Mm. he's experiencing here. Uh, And it's shameful, and it's disgusting, and it makes him feel horrible. Uh, And everybody I've ever talked to that's experienced catcalls says the same thing. Um, And so I think that he's using a sexist society, but with a gender flip, to talk about our real society. Um, and, uh, I, I find that very interesting. Um, and, and, especially with, uh, you know, how different, and at the same time, how similar Yen is, how she both fits in that world and doesn't all at the same time. The, the inherent sexism in this society and the way it's being showed to us and how it parallels our own sex, the sexist society, uh, also adds to the overall theme of not being able to fit in. Uh, Yen is simultaneously caught between her duties as a council member, the Brotherhood of the Sorceresses, to her love for Geralt and how she doesn't fit in this world quite, but has to. At the same time, Mm -hmm. Geralt is having a very similar situation in which, you know, he doesn't fit into this society at all. And he's constantly, it's uh, it's always talked about how he's uncomfortable in his doublet and he keeps pulling at it, trying to reshuffle it. Um, And, What I like about that is that Geralt is a phony, as we've talked about. You know, he likes to pretend he's something he's not. The emotionless killing machine witcher guy who's just out to get money. But Mm. when he has to pretend to be something even worse, you know, he's even more uncomfortable. And so, like, it is a falsehood within a falsehood that he's having to be. And so, therefore, he's uncomfortable, much like Yen. Which is why the moment where they go and they leave and they go to their own room, they instantly are much more open much more thems- themselves than they were ever mm-hmm. at the banquet um and it's all about you know masks and what that does to a society both on an individual level uh, in the case of yen and uh, a but also on a larger scale which is uh the, the the mask that the you know sexism puts on our society whether in here where it is the overt uh, you know, one percent, you know, magic type thing, or in our society, the patriarchal society. Um, do you have any questions for me?
1: No, I feel not. Nothing that could top your wonderful uh, little, <laughs> little lecture there. No, I think we've covered a lot of really fascinating stuff in this in this one. Uh, as always with you, I'm really jealous of the way you can uh just take a sim- a simple question and then turn it a uh, uh, this wonderful <laughs> real deep dive into into the history and uh social aspects of it it's brilliant stuff and it, and it shows just how richly diverse this the series is that you can do that you can do that kind of stuff with it mm.
0: I, I i mean i i tend to just blather on and hope what i say makes sense but <laughs> <It definitely does>. <laughs> <laughs> uh so he'll be back in two chapters time uh-huh. uh so uh next time i'll be covering chapter four which is of course the big old coup so I'll see you then, and remember to have scruples, because scruples <laughs> sometimes can be a bitch, but also important. So see you next
1: time. Bye. Goodbye.